Welcome to We the People, a podcast giving a Christian perspective on news, politics, hot topics, and so much more. Hosted by Rodney Nesmith, worship pastor at New Life Fellowship in Lovelock, Nevada. This week, Rodney is joined by Jennifer Friesen with Them Before Us, a group that puts children's rights before adults' desires, giving children a voice in the debate over family structure. The latest episode of We the People will start right after this quick commercial break. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy, because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Mm, Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. The Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. And now it's time for We the People. Here's Rodney. Hey, good evening, everybody. This is Rodney with the We the People podcast, and we've got a special guest tonight. Her name is Jennifer Friesen. She is the de- director of operations for the uh, for them before us, founded by Katie Faust. So, Jennifer, thank you for being on with us tonight, and. Uh, just uh, take it away and tell us about what Them Before Us is all about and how it came about. Okay, awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Them Before Us was started by Katie because she looked around the culture and we see a lot of organizations that maybe focus on some of the different controversial topics. So we have pro-life organizations, we have pro-marriage organizations, we have a lot of more conservative political advocacy organizations. What um, what Katie saw when marriage was uh, the Supreme Court kind of overthrew marriage, you right. know, I think 2014. What we saw was the other side uses stories, anecdotes, emotion, um, mm-hmm. the idea that a gay couple, someone would not be able to visit their loved one in the hospital. These are human rights. People should have the right to love who they want. Love is love, right? It was, it right, was very right. emotion heavy, very mm-hmm. um, grabs your heartstrings. And what the more conservative side tends to rest on is like facts, figures, here's some <laughs> numbers, or religion, religious arguments. And so right, right. Katie looked at all of this and it was like, this is not, it's not working. And And part of that is just that maybe from, from a more Christian perspective, we're maybe a post-Christian country in terms of culture. There used right. to be a thing in the 50s, or maybe more in the South still, hey, you go to church, you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in the Pacific Northwest. There's not really a social advantage to saying you're religious at all. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of in that post-Christian um, culture. And so a religious argument is not an, it doesn't have a wide appeal. So what makes them before us different is that we focus on all of these topics, adoption, um, marriage, divorce, third party reproduction, which is anytime you're using something in addition to the man and the woman to produce a child, that's called third party reproduction, sperm donation, egg donation, IVF. 
and when we talk about these topics, we do it from the perspective of the child and the fact that the child has natural rights. That's what makes us different than maybe a lot of the organizations that you're familiar with. We're in agreement okay. with so many of them. We're standing on their shoulders in so many ways, but we're trying to come at these topics in a different way, not using a religious argument, trying to use arguments from philosophy with natural law, common sense, using right. the social science data that we have for decades. And so that's kind of what makes us different. And them before us means we put them, children and their rights before us, before adults. What I want has to come secondary to the rights of a child. Okay. Gotcha. But well, yeah, that's a good thing right there for sure, because it seems like the child's needs in a lot of cases always get put last and very rarely first. Right. And we make a point of saying we know sort of in um, in 2023, uh, you know, people who identify under the LGBT and under the rainbow flag and those identities, that's very prominent in our culture. Now we see so much fighting about that. Oh, yeah. we, we make a point. Look, this did not start with these problems didn't start with the rainbow flag or, or anything like that. It started farther back, even especially we, we pinpoint um, when no fault divorce became a thing, which I believe was under Reagan, Ronald Reagan. So the idea that once we started saying getting a good reason to get divorced was I don't feel like being married anymore. That started <laughs> everything. Yeah. So yeah, for that sure. immediately started putting adults Hey, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I, I want to follow my dreams, follow my heart. I fell in mm -hmm. love with someone else. I right. want to spread my wings and fly. Um, that mindset was what started most of this. And that and kids, and then you think, you know, the kids that suffered through those divorces then grow up and you just start to see a spiral effect in terms of yeah. marriage and family and stuff. Yeah, because the kids see what, you know, what they experienced, what they saw firsthand. And it ends up tending to carry over into their own relationships to a certain extent, unless they are really focused upon breaking that, uh, that's that thing, whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we see when you look at social science data, you see that not having your mom and your dad married and in your home, the outcomes for that from everything to, Kids are more likely to have emotional behavioral issues. They're more likely to be obese. I think they're more likely to have juvenile diabetes, more likely to have uh, poor outcomes with education, more likely right. to have criminal behavior. When you look mm -hmm. at men who are incarcerated, there's like what 90 plus percent of them do not, did not have a dad in their home. Right. Um, so any kind of like crime, gang affiliation, so many of those things are linked to fatherlessness. Um, yeah. And then your likelihood of getting divorced if your parents are divorced or multiple divorces, you know, those things just. Sort yeah. Of yeah, yeah. So we talk about and if you to try and get everyone on the same page. So if you're talking to someone who's more progressive and saying, OK, what's the topic you care about? Well, I care about education. I care about Black Lives Matter and, and these kinds of things. Okay, then you should want, you should advocate for marriage. A child having their mom and dad in the home makes it less likely they're going to interact with a cop in a negative way at all 
or, right. or have criminal behavior. So it seems like we could all get on the same page and advocate for the same things. You're less likely to be in poverty, less likely to, um, you know, struggle with the mental health issues when mm -hmm. you have your mom and dad secure in the same place, less likely to be physically, sexually abused because even in a marriage that's not great or perfect. So there's maybe there's fighting or there's conflict. So I'm not saying abuse, but just, okay, well, my parents still fight a lot. It still protects you from mom's boyfriend or right. random woman comes into the house and they're together for two months and her 14 year old son is also in the home, mm -hmm. but now they get break up. There's just so many of those dynamics that kids really pay the price for that we eliminate if mom and dad figure it out, get healthy, get the help you need, stay together and keep mm -hmm. your kid, you know, and those are the best outcomes for your kids. Yeah. It, I mean, that's, that has been proven so many times through so many ways that kids are always better off in a two parent system, one man, one woman, uh, you know, a mom and a dad. And that's just because let's face it, that's the way it was supposed to be. And it's the way it is supposed to be. And it's us as, you know, humankind, so to speak, have, that have messed it all up. Right. And that's one of our kind of pushback when people inevitably accuse you of being anti-gay or whatever, is we just say, or, you know, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe. And we say biology is not bigotry. I'm, we, we're saying from the perspective of the child, a child has a mother and a father. It's mm -hmm. that simple. So yeah. now you need to give me a good argument for why they should not have one or the other or both. So when we yeah. think about third party reproduction, there's kind of an epidemic of, of women in their, you know, thirties and on who maybe are single and maybe they've done career stuff or it's just not working for them to find someone. So now we're seeing the industry start to prey on them. Well, you should uh, freeze your eggs right. or, you know, get a sperm donor or whatever and figure it out. And so, the industry is creating, incentivizing motherless or fatherless children. And we've talked about this has never been able, this has not occurred in human history. There was no way to make a motherless child before. You right. could use a woman and then snatch the kid away, but mm -hmm. that would take you nine, you know, nine months and you'd have to like, what, kidnap her, watch her for nine months or whatever. Right. So now a single guy there was a story of a man who was on disability living in his parents' basement, basically commissioned a child via surrogacy. So gets an egg donor. That's one woman the child loses. Used mm -hmm. a surrogate. And when the surrogate, this was in California, I believe, the surrogate became pregnant with triplets because there can be some weird things that happen when it's, yeah. you know, just they're messing around with it. He wanted her to abort because the contract says, well, one kid. She didn't want to abort. She's <laughs> like, well, I'll keep all three. So what happened is the kids went into foster care while they tried to figure out the legality of the contract law. Mm -hmm. She wants them. This guy who was buying them only wants one. So I don't know. You know, I don't even remember how that they might still be in litigation. But so you do have to wonder. This isn't to say that a man who wants a child is some sort of predator. But you do have to think that the, the fact that we can do these things with technology doesn't ethically mean we should. And no, could these things right. be abused by 
if there's predators and you don't even need a background check to buy a child via surrogacy, right? So there's just so many things we have to start thinking about from the perspective of the child. Mm -hmm. You can want a child. Does that mean the child has to, you know, that you have the right to make a child that's motherless or fatherless just because you want Well, and just uh, not too, not too long ago, I just read a story of about um, two gay men that had kids. I think it was both sons. Adopted, I believe. Adopted, yes. And then were sexually abusing them and pimping them out for like child, you know, porn or something weird. And it's like, are you stinking kidding me right now? Right. You have to get a background check for almost everything anymore, but not for that. Well, what's interesting, so, right, adoption generally has much more stringent um, checks and balances and all these things. You have to pay thousands of dollars. You get home checks and all these things. So they had some of those things, but there must have been people who did not do their due diligence in checking them Mm -hmm. out. But this is what's also interesting. There have been abortion abortion, adoption providers who have been forced, I think, by law, by the courts, to not prioritize a man-woman marriage and to say, well, you know, that's going to be our very first goal is to place every kid with a man and a woman that are married. Mm-hmm. Right. Thinking, well, that's the best outcome for a not ideal situation. A child's mm-hmm. already lost something if they're in a, in the adoption process, right? Right. But there's adoption agencies that aren't even allowed to prioritize so they would have to kind of say, well, anyone who wants a kid, then we have to provide them with a child. So are they kind of have to cut corners and well, I don't want to look like we don't want to look like we're anti-gay or get sued. So we kind mm-hmm. of have to go along with whoever wants a kid. So we talk about that with uh, adoption. Um, adoption is not ideal in the sense of, right, it's children already lost something. Right. But we respect any adults that are sacrificing for kids. So as an organization, we don't say single people should not be allowed to adopt or gay couples should not be allowed to adopt. We don't say that mm-hmm. because we're saying as long as people understand it in the right way, then it's okay to adopt. You don't deserve, you don't have a right to adopt a child. A child has a right to be adopted. Right. And and we should get as close to the ideal as possible. And adoption agencies should be allowed to prioritize a man and a woman married over guy in the basement or right. same-sex couple or single single woman. But we know that there are great adults who are single or who maybe are in a same-sex relationship who are willing to sacrifice and acknowledge this isn't the ideal, but this is a sibling set or a kid with disabilities no one else is adopting. Right. You know, so, so we we say if you're sacrificing for kids, that's commendable. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's, I just heard, read a story too, as, as a woman in Oregon was trying to adopt a child, and she happened to be a Christian, and because she of her profession of faith, they rejected her, and she is now suing the state of Oregon, wow. and which, which I don't blame her for doing whatsoever, because that's religious discrimination. Right. I mean, yeah, that shouldn't be part of denying an adoption. Right. Yeah, that's really fascinating. One of the other yeah, things so. that just came to my mind as well that makes us unique is that we um, have a big story bank of now adults. Generally, we have a few older teenagers who've shared their stories, but where 
the other side, like we were sharing, used a lot of emotion and anecdotes. Sure. We're trying to kind of combine the best of both worlds. We're saying, hey, we do mm-hmm. have the best data. Common sense, biology are on our side. But we're also going to tell the stories. And these are the stories that are not, you know, these aren't the kids that are getting that Bravo TV show or they're not getting documentaries made about them much of the time. You know, kids mm-hmm. sharing about their divorce, uh, their parents' right. divorce, or talking about growing up with a same-sex couple, like their mom with a partner, or being adopted and never knowing their parents, um, Mm -hmm. or being from a sperm or egg donation. So we have a bunch of those stories on our website, which is really cool because it does take away, again, some of those arguments. Well, you're just anti-gay, you're this and that. Because we're saying, no, we're advocating for kids that no one else is telling their stories or listening to them. So we're going to amplify these are the kids that have grown up under what you're saying is awesome. All kids need is love. All kids need is two adults. We're saying, well, mm-hmm. no, this kid says that's not all they needed. That's not all they wanted. And so that's very helpful too. When, when you get a lot of emotion and stories, yeah. like, well, yeah, we have a lot of those too. Well, and didn't Katie grow up in that circumstance where she had two, sa- two same sex parents? So Katie's parents divorced when she was a preteen, I believe. Okay. So she split time between her dad and then her mom partnered with a woman and she split time between her mom and her dad. So oh, okay. she so she talks about that. She's very thankful that she still had both of them in her life. Obviously, divorce still is very painful. Sure. But um yeah, she talks about uh, you know, sometimes for like a headline, people will be like, daughter of lesbians. You know, it doesn't like this yeah. or that. And she's like, well, no, she doesn't consider herself that. She's like, I have a mom and a dad. Yeah. And she cares about her mom's partner and considers her mm-hmm. a friend and loves them. But she's still thankful. She still had her mom. She still had her dad in her life, even mm-hmm. though that, that was split apart, which is still really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I actually have a friend at work um, and they're a lesbian, actually two friends they're, that they're a lesbian couple and they have a daughter that uh actually one of them mothered you know and uh but the dad i don't know where the dad is or if he passed away i don't know how that whole situation mm-hmm. but um they're you know they're very good with her and uh, because obviously she has her real mother in the you know in the home and uh my other friend is you know become her her stepmom or whatever and uh you know, it seems to be a good situation, at least at this point in time, because the girl, I believe, is like 12 now, the daughter, and uh, seems to be doing very well. She's doing well in school, seems to be well-adjusted, um, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's it's not all about, you know, I'd, again, I don't know the dad's situation, how that, came, you know, what happened there. But um, for this child in this situation, it seems to be working at this point in time anyway. Right. And we, you know, people will accuse us on Twitter, different comments and say, there's nothing that says lesbians can't be good moms. You're saying they Mm -hmm. can't parent this or that. And we totally, we're like, no, we totally agree. Two women can be incredible moms. What two women cannot do is father. So thankfully for that girl, she's doing well and she's well adjusted. And I think having Mm -hmm. her, birth or biological mom is a big piece of that and of course having more adults who love and care about you and sacrifice for you kids are going to do better the more of those adults that are in their life for sure Sure. right 
Absolutely. But we would just acknowledge it doesn't replace what you've lost. So two men right. can be incredible fathers, love mm-hmm. kids really well, and be safe and healthy and great. They just can't mother. And especially Correct. imagining, I don't know how you grew up, but just imagining not having that person in your life. So if you grew up with your mom and your dad, just thinking, well, it doesn't really matter if you had your mom and dad, two parents would have been, as long as it's just two people would have been totally fine. <laughs> it's like, right. well, no, if I, there are kids that, that have never, you know, kids from sperm donors, sperm mm-hmm. donors, there was a, it was like a 60 minutes or it was on YouTube and it said, you know, the kids of donor number something, I think it was six or seven half siblings that get together and they're talking about, I wonder if he ever thinks about us. I wonder what he looks like. You know, right. I wonder, do I, do I act like him? I wonder what my grandparents are like. They're missing right. someone they've never Absolutely. known. Yep. So imagine for someone who knew their parents and missed them, even if they're unhealthy, even mm-hmm. abusive and, you know, kids will still miss and love that person. Correct. And still, it still might be totally justified to not have relationship. You know, there's lots of reasons kids yep. have yep. to have that relationship severed for their own well-being. But the kids still have the right to miss that person. And they, they sure, deserve sure. to have that person be healthy and like and love them and take care of them. You know, so we just acknowledge for kids, you know, you can say, hey, this part was hard and this part wasn't hard. We're not going to say what your life should be worse because you didn't have your mom and dad in the home. We're just trying yeah. to, to yeah. give kids that don't have a voice a voice. Right. And I was fortunate enough to grow up with my mom and dad in the house, you know, my my entire life. And, um, you know, that's I consider that an absolute blessing because so many people. But my mom and dad were from a little bit different generation, you know, where marriage was valued. It was uh, something you just didn't bail out on because things were hard or you didn't feel like it or whatever the case is. That's not the generation they came from. And so. Um, I'm thankful for that because, you know, I I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Let's be honest. Everybody has issues from time to time and arguments and blah, 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 blah. It's happens that, you know, you're two different people. One's a man, one's a woman, you know, (laughs) there's going to be some differences and, uh, you know, that's normal, but you know, you're supposed to try to work through those things and get past them and continue to love each other and go on with your marriage. That's the ideal situation. Right. Well, it's kind of interesting that we've kind of gotten to a place culturally where there's so many more, it's so much more common and acceptable to go and get counseling, whether mm-hmm. that's religious counseling from, you know, if you're a person of faith or with just, you know, psychology, go get a counselor, marriage counseling, marriage therapy, marriage retreats, right. marriage right. books. There's so much more of that and more conversation than probably your parents or even my oh, parents yeah. had in the tool in the toolbox, you know. But then at the same time, so many people who have not seen a functional, healthy, a mom and a dad that stayed together the whole time and, you know, even just stayed together, whether it was functional or not. So many of us have experienced or seen divorce. And then it's kind of crazy, right? Because we to try and expect the next generation and the next generation. Okay, come on, get married and figure it out. They've never, so many people have never seen functional marriages. And then you put on top of that politics and the different um, 
things at play. So, you know, I don't know all the details in terms of dates and, and times and who did what, but some of the social services that were trying to help people mm-hmm. kind of incentivized dad, don't be in the house or you're not going to be able to get as much, you know, mom with the kid won't be able to get as much money and support yes. if dad is around, right? So mm-hmm. whereas we could have said, hey, you get pregnant and you weren't expecting it and now you kind of don't know what to do. But if you get married and you're going to live in the same home, now you're going to get some of those benefits and some of those things that are going to help you get off, get on your feet. Right. And we're going to incentivize a child to be raised. That dad is going to be incentivized to get in the home, get a job, figure it out and take care of your kids. And instead, sometimes the government was incentivizing dad, get out of the house and just generation after generation of men, boys raised without their dad. You know, so it's interesting. Some of the social, you know, um, policies and things have made it worse and worse and worse over time. And we're talking about, we're trying to float some policy legislation kind of things that, you know, starting in maybe a red state, what, what could we do at this like more local level that starts incentivizing, Hey, you know what, if you're married for every, every two years you're married, you're going to get this tax write off for every, you know, if you, can demonstrate that you're married and you're living in the same home, you're going to get these mm-hmm. tax cuts. You know, um, I know in Florida, they um, they took the taxes off of the baby supplies and, right. and things like right. that, right? They took this. So it's great because they're helping families be able to afford things. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot we can do that just starts. It's not penalizing people who are making a mistake or doing something right. they regret. Right. But it's saying, okay, you can have something unplanned. And then we're going to start nudging people back toward what we know socially is better for society is kids being raised by their mom and dad. Yeah. I would be totally on board for something along those lines to incentivize and to help, you know, a family that's, you know, starting out especially and uh, to keep, you know, Hey, you, like you said, you get a tax break if uh, you know, if both parents are in the house and, uh, you know, and this and that, and if, you know, if their dad doesn't have a job when they're starting out, you know, help him get a job, mm-hmm. you know, help him get things, help him get on their feet and those kinds of things, whether it be rent credits or tax credits or, you know, whatever it is, but right. put some things in place to incentivize people to that. It's not going to be a bad thing to be married and you're not going to get penalized for being married and right. those, those kinds of things. Right. It's interesting too, if you've ever seen some of those really neat nonprofits, I just, I remember watching a video, I think he was featured on Kelly Clarkson or something of, um, it was a man who went into public schools and part of their thing was like, all the boys would dress up. Like you learn how to do like suit and tie and you learn manners, how to eat at the table. And and I think this man, I don't know if he grew up with that or not, but that was something he was very passionate about. So you see so many of these big brother programs, mm-hmm. mentorship kind of things, right? There's so many great nonprofits that are trying to help replace what's been lost, especially for young men. Because the problem is you really, without some of those nonprofits and without preserving marriage and the dad doing it, you have young men that are going into military or they're going into some kind of sports or mm-hmm. they're going into crime 
or they're causing trouble or they're living in their mom's basement. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah. you kind of have this spectrum of productivity maybe or aggression honed mm-hmm. into maybe better things than others, but without some of these, you know, a nonprofit could be uh, offering, Hey, you know, this married couple, they get married and they're kind of starting out and they're getting some of those tax benefits. Now they get some free marriage and parenting classes from this. Nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And that'd be really neat if more the conservative side of the spectrum started looking at this from the root, because mm-hmm. we talk about that both sides are not going to get what they want without marriage. Oh, sure. So we want more conservative side wants smaller government, like get the government out of my business and out of my face. And we're like, well, the problem is the government's becoming the parent for, yeah. for all these kids that don't have it. And maybe that's part of the agenda, you know, on more of the progressive side, because we see that throughout human history, if you can get the family and that kind of nuclear unit taken apart, you are going to be able to have more control over what's Absolutely. going on. Yep. But yeah. Um, yeah, so preserving that family unit is what keeps the government in its place doing its job. The family does its job, the dad and mom do their job, and the government does its job. But the mom and dad are not doing their job because they're leaving and bailing to follow their heart. Well, the government steps in and says, well, we'll take care of your kid. Here's these government programs and welfare, endless welfare, endless education, student loans, and we'll help you get your job and, you know, and all these different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, so you're not learning how to preserve and create a family for the next time. Yeah. And you've even got teachers nowadays that uh, are telling parents, you don't have any business knowing what your kids are learning in school. And I'm like, like, excuse me. They're yeah. not your kids. They're the parents' kids. You know, where do you think you get off trying to tell the parents what they can and cannot do with their child? You right. know, as far as, especially as far as their education goes, the parents have every right to know exactly what their kids are being taught in the classroom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, we're seeing those spheres of influence leak into each other in a sense, because there hasn't been kind of these clear boundaries where, the dad says, well, this is my family and this is what we do. And you infringing on that. Well, then some things are going to change. Either we're not participating in your school or your program anymore, or, mm-hmm. you know, we're going and doing, uh, talking to the school board or running for office, things like that. But it's kind of, we, we feel, I feel like on the conservative side, we're constantly playing catch up. We're constantly yeah, I agree. like reacting to something that's, this has been embedded in, you know, well, if you talk about um, the incentivizing dads to be out of the home, I think we're talking like 50 years or since the 60s, maybe, you know? Yeah. So this is a long, it's going to take rethinking, re, re kind of training how we think and talk about it, especially thinking about we are constantly getting accused of you don't, you only care about babies before they're born and you, you know, you're homophobes and bigots. We just have to be <laughs> right. ready. Just be ready with these good, just a, a calm answer of like, well, mm-hmm. no, a child has a mom and a dad. So that's how they exist. Yeah. You know that biology, so they exist. So they have a mom and a dad. So I'm just saying they should, don't they deserve to have both those people in their life? And, you know, it's just yeah. a very normal, isn't this just make sense to you? Versus this idea of like, we're anti-gay or we're anti, you know, like single people. Right. And well, and you know, it's just like you said, it's by it's biology. It's simple. You know, it's uh, the male sperm goes with a female egg, create a child. That's just the way it works. 
Right. And yet, you know, if you bring those kinds of things up, it's like you're a hater, you're this, you're that. And yet the left is always screaming about, we got to follow the science. Well, there's science. Right. And you want to deny it. Right. And even with using sperm and egg donation and IVF, they still have to use all the same body parts. Like sperm and egg have to be involved every single time. So there was a man and a woman. There's a mother and a father. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, look at a child who is from a sperm donor. You're looking at a fatherless child. She'll never know her medical history, her grandparents, her cousins. And we talk about, there's some studies or someone testified, I believe, I think this was in front of the UN, one of the commissions uh, along the topic, something like, let's say your sperm facility uh, is in a Seattle area. And, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people around it. So how many of them use that sperm bank? And how many fellow sperm did you come from? Mm -hmm. So now she's saying, you're talking about people who could have a hundred, a thousand half siblings. Yeah. Their state Mm -hmm. or a hundred in their city. So you're, you're going to high school with your half siblings and you don't know. Or, well, and know, how, how many children can a man have produced yeah. and not know any of them? Yeah, there was a study, a man I think is being sued in the Netherlands, or Dutch man. I forget which European country was bringing him up on charges. 500 children. Wow. So, you know, he so he was breaking even the, the rules for, for them, but has 500. And for him, it's just a thing of like, yeah, I want to get, I want to have as many as I can. I'm helping people. It's altruistic or whatever. Wow. But that's, we're talking about it. This is a health crisis. Do people yeah. have to get genetic testing before you can marry anyone or date mm-hmm. anyone? There's been half siblings who've been married. Like they do the 23andMe thing and realize right. they're half siblings after they've already been married for multiple years. Wow. So in addition just to what kids are denied knowing, does anyone in my family have cancer? Does anyone in my family have heart disease? I don't know. Right. Right. Because those things are locked to me. I'm not allowed to know that information. But yeah. And do, do any of my family members have mental illness, you yeah. know, histories, you know, right. all of those things. They don't know any of that. So we, we've just, the technology keeps advancing, but the ethical questions have not been flushed out. And usually when we no. talk to people, you know, I felt that way when I was learning all of this, it just had never occurred to me. And I don't sure. know anyone who's uh, who's uh, has come from a donor. So, and so many of the, like, we'll have stories on our website. A lot of our, the kids who shared didn't know they were from a donor mm-hmm. until they were like 21 or 18, but they experienced, you know, I never felt connected to that parent. Correct. It didn't feel like they liked me very much, or I just was disconnected. I never understood why. Now everything makes sense. Well, yeah, or I don't, or I don't, I don't have any of the same, you know, characteristics or, yeah. you know, resemblance or, you know, all of that kind of thing. Right. Or one of the stories says my mom would say, you know how much money I paid for you? Like $50,000. Oh, that's and nice. It, yeah. So you better make it worth it. You know, so a wow. single mom who used a sperm donor. And there's just this, the idea, like a lot of the kids who come from donor conception will say, it makes me uncomfortable thinking money changed hands. For me to exist. Correct. And the feedback we get, you know, and people comment against us will say, well, is it better for them to not be alive? And it's like, well, no, we're not saying that. They're not saying that. But aren't they allowed to be 
upset or disappointed or bummed out that without their consent, someone denied them something they have had a right to, which was their mother and father, mother or right. father. Or both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so they have a right to say that's not ethical and we should not keep doing that to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, you know, and it's like, I, again, I don't think I know anybody that has, you know, been from a donor to my knowledge anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, it just boggles my mind that there's so many people out there that have no idea who their actual mother and or father are because of these, the donor situation. Right. And what's making that difficult is Ancestry.com, 23andMe, right? Yep. Many people now can use these take-home genetic tests mm -hmm. and are finding their cousins or half-siblings online and are able to sort of piece things together and realize, whoa, my mom and dad are not my birth parents or, you know, my mom isn't my real mom or, or whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of changing all of that. And people are having to deal with these questions now in a way they didn't have to. Yeah. And talk about uh, losing your identity, you know, or who you thought you were, you know, all of a sudden all that is flipped upside down. And I mean, that's, that can't be an easy thing to deal with. Right. That's interesting too. Cause our culture is very like identity is very important in our mm -hmm. culture in American culture, right? Who I am, uh, my ethnic makeup, my cultural background, uh, right. what's my family name? What did my ancestors do? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that at the same time, that's such a value in our culture, but then the kids who share about these identity issues or questions are kind of gaslit and told, we'll just be glad you're alive. You're right. So you're saying 50%, you know, if they know one of their parents, we're saying 50% of who they are. They don't know. And unless they figure out some kind of genetic testing thing, they have no access to this. I think up until recently, there hasn't had to be any sort of um, keeping track of who's who and who came from where when it came to sperm and egg donation. Some of that might be changing. I would hope. And, yeah. And there's been facilities where it's like, oh, sorry, it burned down 20 years ago. And so that just means your only hope of finding out where you came from is gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or that facility closed down. So all that stuff was shipped to a different facility and, you know, who knows where those records are and all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Cause these could be, I mean, we're at the point where records can be 20, 30 years old, I think at this point. Right. And is everything automated at the, you know, is it on a computer? Can you search it somewhere? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Who knows? It might be in a warehouse in a file box somewhere for, you know, right. for all they know. Well, and that happened with, uh, um, I think, like an IVF, a facility that was storing fertilized eggs, maybe California a few years ago, burned down. And so, you know, that's IVF, too. And this is interesting because then you start stepping on toes within the Christian and conservative communities, too, mm -hmm. because so many people are using it without thinking about it. Yeah. And but the industry is preying on people. It's not telling you, hey, we're going to, you know, collect 10 eggs, sperm, whatever, and fertilize 10 eggs. And then we're going to, you know, there'll be three that are undesirable and we're going to kill them. You know, we're mm -hmm. going to one, you know, you in the fine print says we get to experiment on yeah, and five. And unless you want to put them all in at once and maybe have five kids at once. Well, you know, you can do 10,000 each as we, you know, they put them in for 10,000 a pop kind of thing. Right. 
okay, well, we can only do three. So now your two other fertilized eggs, your children, sit in a warehouse somewhere, sit in a freezer, and you pay to keep them frozen. I mean, because they, they, right? They mm-hmm. either, You either stop paying and they use it for science or they destroy it. Or they destroy or, it, yeah. Yeah, or you keep paying. Paying, 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 paying. So, I mean, Crazy. they're creating lifelong customers. Sure. They're just on the hook. What do you do with them? You can adopt them out or t- give them to science or they mm-hmm. destroy it. Yeah. Yeah, that just... That's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, until I had heard about Kate, in fact, I listened to her on another podcast one time when she was talking about all this stuff. I never even thought about that. Right. That yeah. thought never even occurred to me that, oh my word, those are actual children and they're sitting somewhere, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this some are destroyed, some are this, some are that. And it's like, oh, my word, I never thought of that. Right. And this is kind of a gap a little bit in the pro-life argument because we haven't really been thinking about it, talking about it. I just learned this when I started working here as well. So, yeah, again, we just have to start asking all these ethical questions from the perspective of the child. So we say children have a right not to be frozen indefinitely. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. and and I think it was the BBC posted an article this year or last year where it was the oldest baby that's ever been born. She'd been frozen over 20 years. I don't remember exactly how many years. That's Maybe it crazy. was like 25 because she was older genetically mm-hmm. than the woman who adopted the embryo. That's crazy. This woman basically rescued her out of a freezer, right? So yeah, yeah. Born now, but we don't know what the long term, what's the ramifications of a baby with twenty year old genes. Yeah, no kidding. So now at twenty, twenty years old, are her genes? You know, are they breaking down? Right. Is is her? Yeah. Is her (laughs) her genes actually forty years old? You know, instead of twenty. Yeah. crazy i i know for sure that you know from your found the you know the comp the them before us yeah company and all of that and from hearing katie's story i mean it sure brings up a lot of questions that's for sure that a lot of people don't think about it. i know some that i'd never thought about especially yeah. the in vitro thing i man i that had never entered my mind right and surrogacy too we just recommend so yeah anybody can go to them before us.com You'll see our stories tab. You can read kids' stories. We write articles and we talk about the different news, things that are happening. But surrogacy is another one where, you know, I have acquaintances who've used surrogates. So they, they're Christians and mm-hmm. people just don't see an ethical problem to it. Well, it's just my friend right. willing to do it for me. Or we saw this in Spain. It was like a grandma was doing it for her granddaughter or something. Mm-hmm. It just could be really bizarre situations but it's not for money it's not going to a gay guy it's just going to my friend or whatever and so they don't think there's any ethical questions there and Mm -hmm. we're saying no there's always an ethical question if you're splitting mom into different you know i'm going to take an egg here a womb here maybe i won't raise the baby with a mom at all right saying that's an issue regardless Mm -hmm. of money or how the adults feel about it correct too so uh, katie wrote a book hold up 
Yeah. My blur is on. But yeah, so that's on Amazon and any place you buy a book. But that's great. It has, you know, pretty easy to read chapters and their stories and stats and even the gender matters chapter mm -hmm. I read and get my mind just blown again. The differences, complementary differences between a dad and a mom and right. why kids do so well when, when they have both of those people in their home raising them. That mm -hmm. even that stuff still blows my mind when I reread it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I'll tell you what, this certainly gives, <laughs> it's given me and it's going to give other people a lot to think about. That's for sure. Awesome. Uh, that they probably haven't thought about before. I know for me, there was some of that stuff that I heard Katie talk about that. I was like, wow, I have never thought about that before, nor have I really heard anybody talk about it for that matter either. Right. And so, you know, for the for the then before us thing and the book, I man, I compliment you guys for what you're doing and for getting information out that, like I said, a lot of people don't even think about and uh, and maybe don't even know about for that matter. And uh, so, man, I commend you guys for doing what you're doing and getting information out and and uh, putting the children first. That's that's huge, and it need needs to be done because, like I said before, a lot of times they're the last thought and consideration uh -huh. in these kinds of things. So, um, man, Jennifer, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for working for this great organization and uh, for supporting Katie and what she's doing. And uh, man, just keep going with it and keep doing what you're doing because I applaud it full, full hearted, wholeheartedly. So thank you very much for being on with us tonight on the We The People podcast. Awesome, thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you, Jennifer. Have a good evening. And that's it for We The People this week. Tune in next week to see what we got for you. But man, tune on, tune in on this and share it and get it out there and get the information out. So thanks a lot. Thanks.